0: Good morning. It's great to see everybody here this morning. Welcome. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Good News, and it is my privilege to welcome you who are worshiping with us here as well as participating with us online. Thank you so much for being here this morning. If you're here for the first time, I want to just welcome you. Thank you so much for being our guest. And if you would take one of the connect cards and the seat backs in front of you and just take a minute and fill that out, let us know you're here. We'd love the chance to say good morning to you this morning. If you'd come up, I'd love to meet you after the service. It would be awesome to say hello. If you're with us online, there's a button there on your screen. It says Connect Card. If you could go ahead and push that and let us know that you're worshiping with us online, that'd be awesome. The uh, last few months or the last few weeks have been really exciting and Good News. We've seen four different people come to faith in Christ over the past few weeks. And I, I want to tell you just one story. There, there's a, a man in our church who he works in the marketplace. He's in the financial services industry. And, and he has been praying that God would use him to penetrate his marketplace with the gospel, so he started praying for a few specific people by name at the beginning of this year. And, and he has an uh, opportunity to go to lunch with one of his co-workers. And he has a spiritual conversation with his co-worker about Jesus. In the course of that conversation, having prayed for him and now having shared the gospel with him, his co-worker came to faith in Christ. Now that's awesome. Now here's the rest of the story. That guy has a brother who doesn't know Christ. And his first thought when he came to faith in Christ was, I need to take this message to my brother. So he asked my friend to pray for him that he would be able to take that same gospel and bring it to his brother. Because that's what happens when we say yes to following Jesus. He then wants to use us to help others come to know him. So we celebrate these four, and I'm convinced that the church that shines the brightest here in St. John's County will shine the farthest around the world, and we invest 13% of all that you give to plant churches around the world that are gospel preaching, national-led, reproducing self-supported churches and I want to thank you for your faithfulness and giving and we have a video uh, that we're going to show now to just give you a little bit more information about how we how we plant churches where we plant churches why we plant churches and then I'm going to pray for our 2021 church plants but enjoy this video
1: Good News Church, we're based here in St. Augustine, Florida, the nation's oldest city, and our purpose is to make disciples together. And we really feel like we can do that here locally, but we can also do that in helping fulfill the Great Commission and making disciples of the nations. So we do that through starting churches.
2: I appreciate the
0: commitment that this church has to recognizing um, that we need to be a part of the greater movement of God, not just in St. Augustine, but the
2: globe. Well, we love to uh, plant churches that preach the gospel to lost people and found people. It's hard to find churches that do that. Churches either preach the gospel to lost people or found people, but we think they're both important. We believe the gospel that saves us is also the gospel that transforms us. So we love to partner with gospel preaching, gospel-centered churches, because everybody needs the gospel, especially me.
1: jesus said i will build my church and the the gates of hell will not prevail against it and so that's exciting that this is Jesus' mission Mm -hmm. he tells us and allows us to be a part of his mission he says go and make disciples of the nations and so despite the obstacles and the difficulties of raising money gathering people finding a place to meet uh, the gospel is moving forward and there's no stopping it and it's Mm -hmm. exciting to be a part of something so big like that
2: We have an amazing opportunity as a global outreach team. First, we have a great leader, Travis, he does a great job. And what we do is we get proposals from all over the world, from our church planting partners, from the movement leaders. We look at those and see which ones fit in our box of being national led, reproducing, self-supporting, gospel preaching churches. So we look at the ones and see which ones would best fit our model. And then we vote to support them. We pray for them and love to stay in touch with them. We maintain our
1: relationship with our global partners. They send us monthly updates.
0: They keep us aware of any new opportunities that we can support additional
2: church plants. It's just amazing to see the fruit that has come out of that. To see the Holy Spirit moving through Athens in these very unique and interesting ways, you can see where these certain areas are actually being transformed by the power of the gospel. So that is a really important part of, of global outreach is making sure that the churches that we're planted with are like-minded in this area of disciple-making and building relationships through biblical community.
1: Hello, my name is Pastor Leo. I'm from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I am a senior pastor at Gavia Presbyterian Church. We have already planted a- new churches in Brazil and I would like to say thank you good news because uh, we can see lives, families, and our city transforming through the power of the gospel. Prayer is such a vital, vital part of this. We, we can't do anything, you know, in our own strength but it's a work, truly a work of the spirit, working in people's hearts and minds for any of this to happen. And so I invite people to pray. Uh, That's something very practical we can do is pray for our movement leaders, pray for the cities and countries that we're working in to uh, partner financially through giving sacrificially, through tithes and offerings. And also there's opportunities to go and see, you know, there's movement leaders in lots of places around the world. I'd love to show you and see firsthand what God's doing in these different places. So there's lots of ways to get engaged Uh, thankful for everyone who who, the people who do pray and give and go and uh, just thankful for the people of Good News Church who are making this happen.
0: If you uh, have your study, you can turn to the very back of your study and you'll see a list of the 2021 church plants that um, by God's grace, we've been able to invest in through your faithful giving and the hard work of our Global Outreach Team, and and I'd love for you each to take a part uh, in this work of this ongoing support of prayer. I'll never underestimate the power of praying for these church plants, and here's what I've found in my own life. When I take the time to begin to think eternally and missionally, when I set my heart on what God's doing, that's going to make a difference in the world, both now and for eternity. And when I set my heart on things that are outside of myself in prayer, I find the more I invest my time in praying for others in mission, praying for these church plants, the more I want to share my own faith with people I come across in my day-to-day life. Uh, So I'd encourage you, you, if you want a place to start trying to penetrate this county with the gospel, Start by praying for these church plants, and let's do that together now as uh, we spend some time in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the investment that people have made in the work of the gospel here in this place. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of Travis and the team of people who prayerfully consider all these proposals that, uh, Lord, there's so many things we could invest our our resources in. But Lord, you've called us, you've invited us to believe that the church is your primary means of accomplishing your purposes in the world. And so there's nothing more important than planting gospel preaching, reproducing national-led, self-supporting churches, both here and throughout the world. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for the investments that have been made. And Lord, thank you for the way that you want to use these churches in Algeria and in Belarus and in Brazil and in Chad and in Colombia and Ecuador and Greece, in Hungary and India and Ireland and Mexico and, and here in Florida, Lord, to the praise of your glory, would you enable the gospel to be effective in reaching lost people Lord, that the lost would be won to saving faith in Jesus Christ and that those who put their trust in Christ would be built up in their faith. And Lord, that those who are built up in their faith would be equipped to be workers, penetrating their places and their cultures with the gospel. And Lord, would you raise up new generations of disciple makers. Lord, that more churches could be planted. Father, would you do that same work? Even as we pray for it to be done in these churches around the world, would you do that same work here in this place this morning? Would you help me as I teach, and would you help everyone listening this morning, both here and online? Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you take from the things that are true of Jesus and make them real to us, that we might believe and obey to the praise of your glorious grace? We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to grab it. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to continue our study of the book of 1 Peter, um, beginning here in verse uh, 11. This is God's word. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they may slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors As sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants. Be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do right and suffer for it, You patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. The word of the Lord. Now, if you were uh, to fill in the blank to this question, the church of Jesus Christ would be more effective at penetrating and reaching the culture around it if... Fill in the blank. How would you fill that in? The church would be more effective at reaching its community if... We had more money. Hmm. If we were bigger, the Church of Jesus Christ would be more effective in reaching their community if we had more leaders, more people involved in the mission. The Church of Jesus Christ would be more effective at reaching its community if it had more political power, political influence. How would you fill in the blank? Would any of you think... The church of Jesus Christ would be more effective at reaching their community if they had more excellent behavior. Would that be in your top ten? It would be for Peter. In fact, when he begins to counsel and encourage and coach and pray for this church and its leaders, he says, keep your behavior excellent. Moral excellence. Excellent behavior is to be a mark of the church as it seeks to penetrate the culture around us. Keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That a strategy for penetrating the culture around us is for the church to live godly lives... Excellent lives in front of the culture around us in ways that demonstrate the power of the gospel. Now, where would we look to find a model for how to live an excellent life in the presence of a hostile culture? Where would we look? We could look to no better model than Jesus Christ. In fact, at Good News, we believe Jesus is our model for life and ministry. It's one of our core values, that good news loves Jesus. We believe that Jesus is our model for life and ministry, and that a person who is following Jesus will become like him. As we follow Jesus, we become like our master, that Christ-likeness is one of the aspirations, one of the goals of every Christian. But it's important that we understand that as we seek to live as a follower of Christ should, we're not doing it in our own strength. We're not doing it in our own power. In fact, when a person identifies as a member of Good News Church, one of the promises that we make to one another is Will you seek to live as a follower of Christ should? But what's the power for that? The power for that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we say, will you, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, seek to live as a follower of Christ should? We don't throw ourselves back on our own strength, on our own power, in order to live as a follower of Christ should. No, we throw ourselves back on the power of the gospel, on the power of the Holy Spirit, on the present reality of Jesus Christ, who is alive right now. You know what he's doing? He's praying for you, and he's praying for me, and he's asking the Father to keep giving the Holy Spirit. Keep giving the Holy Spirit. Keep empowering your church. Jesus is our model. So we want to walk as Jesus walked. We want to follow Jesus. But Jesus is our model for excellent behavior, for a holy life, for an obedient life for a life that honors God now only in the power of the Holy Spirit now what I want to do is I want to unpack that what does it mean that there is excellent behavior what do we mean by that I want you to know three things number one there is a standard number two there's a problem and it's a big problem number three there's a solution There is a solution. So there is a standard, there is a problem, and there's a solution. We're gonna unpack those three things so that we can understand what I mean by excellent behavior. Now, first of all, there is a standard. Now, if I said to you, I would like you to put these cones three feet apart. So I'll put this cone here, and you, you tell me when you think these cones are three feet apart, you just tell me when to stop. Stop, okay, so what was the standard we used to measure whether or not the cones are three feet apart? What standard did we just use? Your eye test. So you looked at the cones and your brain is so amazing, it was able to judge distance, height, and arrange the cones to the best of your ability according to the standard of your eyes. Now, I could use a second standard to evaluate how you did. That would be my foot standard. Now, my foot standard, I could take my foot, and i will go one, two, three. So how did we do? We did okay. We did okay. They're a little too close based on the foot standard. Now, there's a third standard, and I could take a yardstick. And it's three feet apart. It's uh, three feet long. And I can measure how we did. Wow. That's pretty good. Good thing you were so loud, Ron. That was awesome. <laughs> trust the carpenter. That's pretty good. Way to go. Man. All right. So there's a standard. We can trust what our eyes see. We can trust our foot. We can trust the yardstick. But what about for excellent behavior? What's our standard? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the standard for excellent behavior. If you want to look to see what a life lived for the glory of God and the good of others looks like, you can look to the life of Jesus. Jesus is our standard He's our standard. And through his apostles, through the word of God, he reveals more of how his model for life is to be lived out. So we can look to Jesus. We can look through the gospels. We can look at Jesus. We can measure our life by Jesus. We can look to the word of God to set the standard for how to live as a follower of Christ should. And when we look to the word of God in 1 Peter, we see that excellent behavior, first, the standard of excellent behavior is that we would abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. There is a standard. And the standard is Jesus. And Jesus, through his apostles, has revealed the specific measures of a life lived after his model. And one of them is that we would abstain from fleshly lust, that there is something in us called the flesh. It's our sin nature that we're born with and that naturally resists and opposes the beautiful life. It naturally resists obedience to God. It naturally wants what it wants, what it wants, and it wants it now. It's our fleshly lust. Now, how do we abstain from fleshly lust? We're going to see that later on in this message. But first of all, what I want you to see is that the ground of this is a war. This Abstaining from fleshly lust is not a peacetime exercise. It is a war. That when you say yes to following Jesus, you enter into a battle with your sin nature. And your sin nature is always resisting. And the only thing that is greater than the power of the flesh is the power of the Holy Spirit. But you need to know and have the right expectation in your mind to think, I am stepping onto a battlefield. Listen, if I visit, I don't know, St. Vincent, or I visit Aruba, or I visit Hawaii, what my expectation of life in any of those vacation destinations is very different than if I visit, I don't know, Syria, or Iran, or Iraq. If I go to Afghanistan, my expectation of what's going to meet me when I get off of the plane is going to be very, very different than my expectation when I visit Aruba. And too many of us enter into this life following Jesus, expecting it to be Aruba. Aruba. Expecting to just kick back, live the life. This is going to be amazing. Me and Jesus. But When you said yes to following Jesus, you put on a helmet of salvation. That helmet of salvation is the first inclination that you're in a war. You're in a war against the flesh. And you have strong power in this war. But it's a war. So don't expect Aruba. Expect Afghanistan. Expect there to be a fight so that you're not undone. When you fail, when you sin, when you miss the mark, when you are in a fight, don't be shocked. When, you're resist- when you find in yourself resistance, To the things of God, don't be shocked. You're in a fight. It's a war. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Now, before we go on, just so you don't check out, I want you to know Jesus is going to win the war. When Jesus said, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, he was giving a promise to his church. He wasn't simply saying that to show how we all miss the mark of perfection. He was giving that as a promise that you, yes, you, will one day be just like Jesus. And you can make significant progress in this life. And you will all, if you're in Christ, be made perfect forever in the life to come, there is a war, but Jesus is going to win it. Now, part of the standard is abstain from fleshly loves, uh, lusts. The second part of the standard is this: verse thirteen. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether as to a king, as the one in authority. Or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Now Peter, in his description of the submitted Christian a living in relationship to the civil government and human institutions of authority in the world, describes something almost identical to what Paul describes in Romans 13, that we're to live... He uses almost the same language. Now, why would that be? Because they both got it from the same source. Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus is speaking through his apostles, and he's telling them, submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, to kings and governors, for they are representing God to you. Wow. This is revolutionary. We think... That what would be revolutionary would be overthrow the government. No, what's actually revolutionary is submit to the government. Submit to the civil authority. And I want you to know that both Peter and Paul were writing their words during the reign and rule of a man named Nero. And Nero started out, he was a pretty good emperor. He was a pretty good leader in Rome for about five years and then he lost it and when he lost it he lost it big time so this is how it's described in fox's book of martyrs the the first persecution of the church took place in the year 67 under nero the sixth emperor of rome this monarch reigned for the space of five years with tolerable credit to himself That'd be nice for people to say. How's Dave doing? Well, he's of tolerable credit to himself. But then gave way to the greatest extravagancy of temper and to the most atrocious barbarities. Among other diabolical whims, he ordered that the city of Rome should be set on fire. Which order was executed by his officers, guards, and servants? While the imperial city was in flames, he went up to the tower of Macenus, played upon his harp, sung the song of the burning of Troy, and openly declared that he wished the ruin of all things before his death. Besides the noble pile called the circus, many other palaces and houses were consumed, several thousand perished in the flames, were smothered in the smoke, or buried beneath the ruins. This dreadful conflagration continued nine days. When Nero, finding that his conduct was, was greatly blamed and a severe odium cast upon him, determined to lay the whole upon Christians, he found a scapegoat. It's the Christians who did it. Now, here's why I think he could get away with that. It was easy for people to believe that the Christians were at fault. Why? Because the Christians were near the fire. The Christians didn't run away from the flames. The Christians ran to the flames to help, to love, to put them out, to help people escape. And so when Nero said it was the Christians' fault, there was circumstantial evidence to defend his claim because the Christians were right where the fire was. Of course they were. They were just like Jesus. They were trying to love and care for people who were suffering. A severe odium cast upon him, determined to lay the whole upon the Christians at once to excuse himself and have an opportunity of glutting his sight with new cruelties. This was the occasion of the first persecution, and the barbarities exercised upon the Christians were such as even excited the commiseration of the Romans themselves. When the Christians were persecuted by Nero, even the Romans said, ooh that's too much. Nero refined upon cruelty and contrived all manner of punishment for the Christians that the most infernal imagination could design. In particular, he had some sewed up in skins of wild beasts and then worried by dogs until they expired. And others dressed in shirts made stiff with wax fixed to axle trees and set on fire in his gardens in order to illuminate them. This persecution was general throughout the whole Roman Empire, but it rather increased than than diminished the spirit of Christianity. In the course of it, St. Paul and St. Peter were martyred. Before they died, both Peter and Paul, knowing the peril that they faced, didn't urge Christians, run for your lives, escape to the hills. He said, no, they both said, no, submit to every human institution and live a life of love and obedience in the midst of your cities, even when to do so would cost them their lives and the life of many within the church. He, they urge them to stand under the standard of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ had already given them an example. Because there was a day when Jesus Christ stood before a civil authority. And that civil authority had the power to free him and had the power to condemn him. And Jesus Christ, though he was without sin, stood in front of that civil authority named Pilate. And he said, I am king. King of kings and Lord of lords, and you would have no authority over me if it were not given you by my father. And on the basis of that authority, Jesus was therefore put to death, executed by the civil authority of Rome under the leadership of Pilate. And by his death, his willingness to suffer in our place, he set us free from sin and death and hell. And he says, don't use your freedom to resist the, pub- the civil authority. Use your freedom to bless the civil authority and every city and county in which you find yourself. Now, when I was a young person, that was really easy to say. When I started out in ministry, that was very easy to say, but I've watched many, many elections take place over the course of my time in ministry, and I find this happens. If our guy wins, everyone says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And if the other guy wins, we say, oh, it's awful. This is terrible. It's the end of the world. But you know what I've seen over the course of these many, many years? What makes the most difference is not when we entrust ourselves to the civil authority and celebrate when our kind of civil authority wins or when we lament the civil authority What makes the difference is when we submit to the civil authority and live such excellent lives before the watching world that when they see our good works, the way they saw the good works of the Christians in Rome as it burned, they have reason to see that our message of hope in the gospel really has done a work. It really has done something in our life. It really is a power at work in us who believe. Abstain from fleshly lust. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. Third, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Submit to your employer. Live excellent lives with your employer. Now, You say, well, that's not what it says, Dave. It says, slaves, be submissive to your masters. You're right. The Bible describes slavery as it existed in the time in which the Bible was written, but it doesn't prescribe slavery. In fact, the message of the gospel that the Bible brings is the very seed that would eventually wipe out slavery. Now, has the church made mistakes when it comes to slavery? Yes. However... It would be unwise to not understand that when Paul and Peter describe the responsibility for servants to be submissive to your masters, they are simply describing what was true in their time. In the time when Peter wrote his letters to the church and when Paul wrote his letters to the church, it could be that 60 million people lived as slaves within the Roman Empire. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying what's true to history was that there were around 60 million slaves. But slavery in the Roman Empire was very, very different than slavery as we experienced it here in our country. It wasn't chattel slavery. In fact, the Bible, even in the time of the apostles, condemns kidnapping the forceful removal of a people group from their homes and bringing them into a state of slavery in your place, the Bible condemns that. It says that those who practice kidnapping, this practice of taking people from their home country and bringing them to yours to be in servitude, that is condemned as being something that disqualifies someone from eternal life. So don't do it the Bible says. The Bible clearly condemns that. Here, Peter says, servants be submissive to your masters with all respect. Most servants were working for masters because of either their financial circumstances were so poor that they had to sell themselves to the master. Uh, It was the only way they could escape It was like bankruptcy. It was the only way they could escape their poverty, so they did it. And Paul and Peter both say, listen, if you find yourself in this circumstance, humbly submit to the authority of your master in the marketplace as to the Lord. It's interesting that the Bible speaks more to slaves... And people of low socioeconomic class, then the Bible speaks to kings. The Bible fits with reality that most of the people who give a hearing to the gospel are the weak, the poor, the needy. In fact, if you find yourself in a high position within your culture, you're very, very unusual in the story of the Bible. And I rejoice that you found Christ as much as I rejoice that I found Christ. But you're not not in the majority in the scriptures. Most of the people who find Jesus in the Bible are the poor, the outcast, the slave, the nobodies. They're the ones who find Jesus. And if you look at where Christianity is growing like wildfire in the world, it's growing like wildfire in places where there's persecution, and there's famine, and there's poverty. And nobodies in nowhere places are calling out to Jesus for salvation, and Jesus is making himself real. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. That's the standard. There it is. And What's the problem? It's obvious, right? None of us have kept the standard. None of us do it. Our flesh doesn't want to say no to its lusts. We don't want to submit to the civil authority except for our kind. And we don't want to submit to our earthly masters. We don't want to do it. The problem is that all of us have missed the mark of the standard that Jesus has left for excellent behavior. There's only one excellent model. Jesus. Jesus is the only one who ever kept the standard. Not only... Is Jesus the only one who ever kept the standard? But not only do we not keep the standard ourselves, we look to the wrong things to try and give us power to keep the standard. We look to the wrong strategies to try and keep the standard ourselves. We look to one strategy we look to is the strategy of legalism, it's the spirit of circumcision as Paul describes it in the letter of Galatians. This is what he says, Galatians 5, 6. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any value, but what counts is faith working itself out in love. The circumcision mindset says, I am going to try and keep the standard through my own efforts to obey and keep God's law that describes the standard. There's no doubt about that, but I'm going to try and keep the standard through my own effort. That's the circumcision mentality. The uncircumcision mentality is this. We try to use the flesh to find happiness. We say, I am just going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to do what I want to do, go where I want to go, be who I want to be. Which of these two spirits seems to dominate in our age? They're both present, both the spirit of legalism and the spirit of looseness. They're both present, but more and more in our culture, what I see happening is more and more people throwing off every standard and enthroning in the place of the standard man and his or her happiness as the measure of all things. We live in a country that says we were founded on this idea that man has been given the opportunity to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And we've taken that third one, and put it in 180 font over everything in our life and said, if it makes me happy, I'm going to do it. If it doesn't bring me happiness, I'm not going to do it. And Jesus Christ says, I've come to make you holy. I've come to establish my lordship in your life. I've come to bring my kingdom into your life. The problem is whether we seek it through legalistic righteousness or uh, license, both those strategies fail. They won't bring about the standard. The legalistic efforts to make ourselves holy won't work. The, The pursuit of personal happiness won't make us holy. It won't work. What's the solution? The solution is Jesus Christ. His love. Jesus says, through Peter, beloved. It's the first word in verse 11. It's so easy to pass over, but it's so important. The reason you love in obedience to the Father, the reason why you're able to pursue a standard of holiness in your life is because you have been so well loved by Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you are beloved, beloved. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a sacrifice for our sin. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The beginning of the pursuit of holiness, the beginning of the pursuit of excellent behavior modeled after the person of Jesus Christ is to believe that what the gospel says about you is true. You are beloved. You're beloved. Not only are you beloved, but Jesus Christ has a purpose and a plan for your life. His purpose and plan for your life is that you would glorify his father. Look at verse 12, the very end. Glorify God in the day of visitation. There will be a day when Jesus Christ will come again to judge the world and establish the final state of things. And on that day, oh, that great day of his visitation, the way we live our lives now will contribute to the glory of God, that now Jesus Christ invites you to live before him in his power to the glory of the Father. So what's my chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And forever starts now. Oh, the power of love, the glory of of a purpose to glorify God. And finally, Jesus' example, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And so that's what I want for you this week. What I want you to do this week is to simply Humble yourself in front of Jesus. And even as I say it, I know how impossible it is for any of us. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help you follow in Jesus' steps to believe what the gospel says of you is true, to have faith that when Jesus Christ suffered, it was for you. That's the beginning. That 1 Peter 3, verse 18, is true of you. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, let me be filled with an awareness of your love for me. Let me be filled with wide-eyed wonder at what you have done for me. Can you say it? That he did it for me? Is it real in your life? Or is Jesus a distant historical figure? You believe certain facts about him, that he lived at such and such a time and he died in such and such a way, and, and the claim is that he rose from the dead. Or is Jesus Christ... Life, death, resurrection made real to your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way for us to make progress in pursuing Christ's example is if Jesus Christ and the power of his life and death and resurrection are real in our life. And it can be if you just ask and go on asking. For the grace of the Holy Spirit, because you know what your heavenly father loves? Your heavenly father loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So you ask. The alternative is all over. The alternative is everywhere. The alternatives to the gospel are legion in our culture. Humanism presses in upon us, Francis Schaeffer said. All these false solutions, the solution of man through his own effort making himself holy to God, the solution of man establishing his own autonomous kingdom, humanism presses in upon us, constantly challenging our very lifestyle. So we must not fail to practice its opposite. Presenting a real practical contrast in our day to day living is not the central problem of our generation that the world looks upon the church and sees it trying to do the Lord's work in the flesh. Let us ask ourselves the hard questions Do we really believe God exists? Do we really believe God? Do you? Do you? Let's pray. Father, I believe with all my heart that you are real and you are pursuing people in this room and watching online right now. And Jesus Christ, I believe with all my heart that you are alive from the dead right now. And you are pursuing your people and you have made a promise to build your church. And Holy Spirit, I believe with all my heart that you are real and that you are searching every heart here and you desire to be poured out and filling up every person here that we might in your power be pursuing a life of love. To so the glory of the Father and the model of Jesus, not to be saved, but because of your great saving work for us, that we would be called beloved. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, show each person here the next step for them in following in your steps. And Father, add to the great story of what you're doing in the world through your church as your church resists with revolutionary zeal conformity to this world and its patterns and rests and lives in the power of the Holy Spirit as followers of Christ should. Lord, for any here that sense you drawing them to to them to yourself for the first time, would you close that in their heart? Would you settle that in their mind that they are your children, that they would simply say to you right now, Jesus, I want to settle this with you. I have sinned against you in many ways, and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe you lived and died and rose again in my place. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life as Savior and Lord. And if you'd give me strength, I'll follow you all the days of my life. If you've done that today, would you let someone know that Jesus will become more real in your life? And Lord, we pray, make your church a powerful example to a watching world of a life of surrendered obedience to Christ. I pray in his name.